Luke chapter 14, find your place there. We're going to be talking this morning about far from God people. I don't know if you noticed this morning, but our songs that we have sang, the way that we have worshiped the Lord today, has been just a simple call and a reminder that when we come to Jesus, when we come to salvation in Jesus, we are brought near to the Lord. And what a great picture, what a great um, reminder that is for us as we've sang this morning. But in Luke 14, we're going to talk about far from God people. Many years ago, President Thomas Jefferson was traveling across the country with some companions, uh, members of his staff, and they were uh, traveling by horseback, and they came to a river that had been uh, flooded because of a recent downpour. It had overflown its banks, and so that swollen river had washed the bridge out that they were anticipating being able to cross over to get to the other side of the river. And so uh, each of those riders was forced to ford the river on horseback, and uh, the depth of the river, the swiftness of the river really made it a real threatening situation. They possibly could have died fording that river on horseback. And so as they began to do that, there was a pedestrian, a man who was traveling himself on foot that uh, could not cross the river, uh, saw the swollenness of the river and decided he wasn't going to swim it. So he kind of stood back and watched uh, Thomas Jefferson's men cross on their horses. And he decided... After several of them had reached the other side of the bank, uh, the other side of the river successfully, he decided that he would ask. And so he approached the president, President Jefferson, and asked if he could get on board the horse with him and be ferried across the river. And he got to the other side, him and the president safely slid off the horse. And one of the president's men looked at him and said, tell me, why did you approach the president to be ferried across the river and not one of us? The man looked at him and said, I had no idea that the president is the one who helped me. All I know, he said, is that once on some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of them was the answer yes. And as I looked at the president, his face said yes. You know, this morning as we continue working through the gospel of Luke, we have seen that on the face of Jesus, there's always a yes. Jesus constantly seeks, looks for opportunities to help people, to ferry them across the river that separates them from God. This is exactly what we find as we come to Luke chapter 14 this morning. And Jesus, once again, is looking for opportunities to speak into the lives of people who are far from God. And so if you've got your place there, let's begin reading in verse 1. Luke says that one Sabbath... When he went out to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. We have already seen, as we've walked through the first 13 chapters of Luke, a lot about the Sabbath day. We've seen that the Sabbath day was a day of hospitality. It was an important day in the life of the Jew. And so Jesus oftentimes, many times, was invited to the home of someone for a meal following the Sabbath day synagogue service. 
Sometimes the host's invitation was genuine. Sometimes that invitation was an opportunity for that host to get to know Jesus, to understand Jesus more, to hear more of his teaching. Many times, however, Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee or someone else after the synagogue service for the sole purpose for them to watch Jesus, for them to hear Jesus and be able to catch him in something so that they could criticize Jesus and continue to build their case against him. Such is the case right here in this story in Luke chapter 14. Luke tells us that they are watching Jesus because, as we know, he was known for violating the Sabbath. We've seen already three separate occasions that Jesus has violated the Sabbath. If you remember, way back in chapter 4, Jesus cast out demons and healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. In chapter 6, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Then in chapter 13, he healed that bent-over woman that we looked at a few weeks ago. In addition to that, back in chapter 6, Jesus' own disciples, as they're walking through on the Sabbath, through a grain field, plucked, plucked the heads of grain and began to rub them in their hands and eat that grain. And the disciples asked Jesus about it, and Jesus basically refused to rebuke them. And so Jesus was known for violating the Sabbath. So on this Sabbath... Jesus enters this house where he had been invited, and he finds a man who has dropsy, or we would call it today edema. This is a medical condition that's caused by uh, either kidney failure, a, a heart condition, a troubled heart, or liver, liver disease. And so the result of the compromised organ, whichever it may be, is that the body fails to extract or excrete uh, extra liquid, extra fluids. So that liquid will collect in the tissue of the abdomen. It may uh, collect in the legs or the feet. The, the swelling causes incredible pain. And ultimately, it culminates in organ failure and the person dies. And so in this situation, it's highly likely that the man in the story is terminally ill. As we understand his medical condition, we can't help but, under, or we can't help but ask, now why is this man here? It would have been taboo. It would have been highly abnormal for a Pharisee, a ruler in this situation, to invite a man who is terminally ill, a man who's on his deathbed, a man who is, would have been seen as unclean, very likely, in that culture. Why do they invite him to the home of this high-ranking official, this ruler with scribes? Because Jesus says, or Luke tells us, he addresses the lawyers and the Pharisees. Why in this setting do we have a sick man who's on his deathbed? It's obviously to catch Jesus in a trap. It's to catch him saying something, doing something, violating the, the Sabbath day so that they can criticize him all the more. You see, if Jesus refuses to heal the man, they can accuse him of being lacking compassion or not caring for people. If he heals the man, he is guilty of openly violating the Sabbath. Jesus here is fully aware of their scheme. And so he asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, in their world, and their law, and their understanding of the law, it's not lawful. They should not do it, but they say nothing. So he heals the man, he sends the man away, and then he poses that incredible question. Which of you, having a son, which of you, having an ox, would not do something very similar to what I did, you would immediately go and take that ox, you would take that son out of the well and save them. 
So Jesus was clearly in a hostile situation. The dinner party was not friendly toward him. These guests and the host himself had no desire to be his friends. But if you were here last Sunday, do you remember kind of what I said about Jesus? He seems to not be helping his situation. Jesus is not working to build bridges. He's not working to get along with the Pharisees. He's not working to have friends in this society. Jesus seems to be going out of his way to shoot himself in his own foot. Put it into kind of modern vernacular. Jesus is not helping himself by making friends. But instead, he fires his own shots at this religious leader and his guests. See, as Jesus surveys the room... He sees a bunch of far-from-God people, and he speaks into their life. He lovingly and he truthfully exposes the sin in each one of them that keeps them far from God. And as we sang this morning, as we sang about drawing near to the Lord and abiding in Him and, and kind of just relishing in the gospel, that is exactly what the gospel does for us. It brings far-from-God people close to God into relationship with God. But to do that, you first have to know the truth. You have to know where you're at. You have to know that your sin has separated you from God, that it's brought condemnation upon your life, and that you are in need of a Savior. So we see that it was their sin that was keeping each one of these people from Jesus. What does this mean for us today? Here's what I want you to understand this morning. In the world in which we live today, there are many people who are far from God. Many people who are far from God. And I know what you're thinking this morning. Absolutely, Pastor. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's those people in the Middle East who are dropping bombs and doing terroristic attacks. They're far from God. Absolutely, they're far from God. But it's also a lot closer than that. Even in this room this morning, there's perhaps people who are far from God. You're here in the church building. You're among church people. You're among other believers. You might have be a regular attender. You might even be a member of our church. You understand you're around the things of God. You understand how the church operates. You can speak the language that we speak. You understand certain terms that I may say. You're around the things of God, but spiritually, you're far from God. So it's not just overseas. We're going to commission a team that's going to be flying to South Asia later in the service. It's not just people in South Asia who are far from God. It's people right across the road from you. It's people living in your own homes. It might even be you today that is far from God. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see what this means to be far from God. There's three things that I want to point out, three things I want to show you this morning about people who are far from God. Number one, they are those who seek power among people. Let's continue to reading in Luke 14. Verse 7 says this. Now we told a parable to those who were invited. And he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus here in this 
parable, this story, talks about those who seek power among other people. You know, the vast majority of people in this world, even the vast majority of us sitting in this room, we want to feel important, don't you? I mean, just be honest this morning, you want to feel important. Most people want a title. Most people want to have accolades surrounding their name. They want to be known for something. They want to be known for doing something. Most people want a title. Most people want to have accolades. Most people want attention. We want someone giving attention to us. Even the introverts that are in here, and I is one of those, we want attention. We want attention. We want to be somebody. We want to known, be known for being somebody. And so as Jesus here scans this room that he's in, this dinner that he's attending, he saw the pride of each of these people. He saw their hearts and how prideful they were. See, all of them wanted to sit in the seat of power. They all wanted to be known. In this culture, when you were invited to a, a dinner, when you were invited to a banquet, when you were invited to a setting like this, everyone had a certain seat. And the closer you were to the host, the more important you were. So if you're the ruler of the synagogue and you're coming to someone else's house, you're probably pretty close to the host. If you're a dignitary, if you're part of the Sanhedrin, you're really close to the host. If you're someone that's nobody, you're sitting at the end of the table. Now, we don't really do that in our culture. We kind of sit where we want to sit and, and all of that. Unless it's a really formal, special thing, then you may have a certain seat. You're going to have your name there and all of that stuff. And so this is a little foreign to us, but we completely understand the desire to be known, the desire to be recognized, the desire that someone knows our name. Back then, just like today, if you're invited to the right home, seated in the right places, and work with the right people, then others will recognize, others will know that you are somebody really important. And so the emphasis back then was on reputation rather than character. Is it any different today? Don't we put a lot of emphasis on reputation, a lot of emphasis on what I've done. Here's my resume. Here's my pedigree. Here's my last name. We put a lot of emphasis there, and we put very little on character. Jesus here advised the guests to humble themselves and to seek the lower seats at the table. His advice was a call to genuine humility. Now, we should not take from this text some sort of self-help uh, better yourself in your profession by looking lower than you actually are so that someone raises you up. It's good practice to not try to jump into a seat. It's not made for you. But he's not giving us a TED Talk on how to climb the professional ladder. He's not giving us a TED Talk on how to be better relationally with our friends. That's not the point of this. The point is to humble yourselves, not to exalt yourself. And so those who are far from God are focused on self. Those who are far from God only care about their own desires, their own intentions. They want to be recognized by what they can do. And so they seek power for themselves. You see, what Jesus is telling us here is that they are proud. And pride puts you at odds with God. God hates the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Perhaps this is your spiritual condition today. You refuse to bow your knee in humble surrender to Jesus because of what others may think of you or what they may say of you. You refuse because you know the kingdom that you've been building will have to crumble if you bow your knee to Jesus and live for his kingdom. You're living for everything this world can give you. 
rather than Jesus. This morning you may refuse because you want to make your own way. You want to earn your own stripes. You want to do it yourself. You would prefer to stand before Jesus and one day say this, look what I have done for you. That's what pride does. That's what humanity strives to achieve is this is what I have done. This is my good and look how it outweighs my bad. Here's what Jesus will tell you on that day if that's your perspective. Depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew 7. One of the, the hardest and most harshest passages in all the Bible, one of the most depressing texts in all of Scripture, is when those will stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and declare before the Lord, look what I've done. Have I not done this? Cast out demons and done all of these things in your name. And Jesus will look them square in the eye and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Far from God people are those who seek power among others. There's a second thing I want you to see about far from God people. And that is those, they are those who trust in wealth and comfort. Let's continue in, ver, in, in chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Jesus said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus here has, in, has spoken to the invited guests, and now he speaks to the Pharisee who has invited all of these people. He tells them, basically, that you've invited all of these people who are here for two reasons. Number one, you've invited all of these guests, maybe me included, because they owe you. Or, or I should say, you owe them. They've invited you to their party before, and so now you're kind of returning the favor. So, Pharisee, ruler, host of the party, don't do that anymore. That shouldn't be your intention. That shouldn't be your objective in inviting guests to your party, just simply to repay the, the gesture. And then he tells them a second reason. The reason you've invited some of these is not because they owe you, but you want them to owe you. Right? You want them to invite you to your future parties. So his hospitality was not an expression of love. It wasn't an expression of grace. Instead, it exemplified nothing more than pride and nothing more than selfish centeredness. In essence, this man is buying recognition. So Jesus' instruction to this Pharisee corrected his fallacy by stressing the importance of serving those who could not repay. He says, don't invite your relatives, don't invite your friends, don't invite those who can repay this, but instead go to the lame, the blind, the, the decrepit, go to the ones who have no capacity to help you. Again, is our culture much different than the day in which we're reading about. You see, we live in a very competitive world. So it's easy for people to be more concerned about profit and loss rather than service and help of others. So we're looking to, to, to make a name for ourselves. We're looking to, to increase our bottom line. We're looking to, to extend our networking. See, we tend, to, we tend to evaluate things through the lens of what we can get out of it rather than Express a desire to speak into someone's life and to be a benefit. We are self-centered 
in everything that we do. So we read from this and we see that far from God people don't call on Jesus in faith. Why? Because they're trusting in wealth and the things that this world has to offer. They have no love for Jesus because they are enamored with the comforts that this world affords. You've probably heard a person say something like this. Man, I really want to go to heaven and be with Jesus one day, but I just don't want to go today. I would agree with that on some level, right? I don't know any Christian today that is so uh, desirous to go to heaven that they're willing to commit suicide to speed the process up. Any takers on that? If you raise your hand, we have help for you this morning. Because you need some help. I heard someone make that statement here recently. I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus, but I just want to go today. And that kind of just struck with me. Do we really want to go to heaven and be with Jesus? I, I think, obviously, on the surface, we understand what that statement means. But I think there's something deeper about that. Do we really want to go to heaven? In other words, are we really living for that? Is there an eternal thrust to everything that we do? Or is there more of an infatuation or a love for the things of this world that we want to experience all that this world has to offer and live for those things? And then when all of that's said and done, have that opportunity on the deathbed to say yes to Jesus and go on into glory. I think that's where a whole lot of people in the church are trying to live their life. They're trying to straddle the fence between I want one foot in heaven and I want one foot in the hell of this world and still make it into heaven. You cannot have it both ways. Here's a man who's inviting these guests into his home. We know he's not a believer because they're watching Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to catch Jesus. And he's only doing this to impress the people that he lives around so that they'll serve him in return. He's living for the things of this world, the wealth and the comfort. And we have a tendency to do the very same things. Far from God people are those who trust in wealth and comfort. Thirdly, far from God, people are those who rest in religious experience. Let's continue. Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who, get, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready, he said. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five, oxen, five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Then another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, what is going on here? If you've been keeping score as we've walked through this text, these 24 verses, Jesus is in this house. He's in this room with all of these guests. He's got the dinner host there. He's got all these other religious leaders, probably people of notoriety within that village that they're in. 
They're all sitting here, and Jesus has one by one offended every single one of them. Have you ever invited someone to your house that literally showed their backside the whole time? embarrassed you to no end by the way they've acted, the way they've spoken, the way they've treated your guests, the way they've shown contempt for the things that you put on the table. Now, Jesus is not showing contempt here, but we probably have some sort of understanding of, of being in such an awkward situation as this right here. Jesus has flat offended everybody, and everyone is seething mad and yet silent. And then a quick-tongued dude trying to take an awkward, weird situation and make it a little better, says, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. I think what he's trying to do here is get someone to say, hey, man, well said. Now let's pass the bread and let's get on with this banquet. Right? He's just trying to move the thing along because it's so tense, you could cut the, tense, the, the, the tension with a knife in the room. Jesus pushes back on this guest assumption and he tells a story about a man who himself hosted a party and this host as we read sent out invitations and then he made his preparations that's typically how they would do things back in that culture they'd say hey i'm gonna have a a party i'm gonna celebrate with a dinner you're invited and then they would make the preparations and then send the servants out saying it's ready now you come and so this host does that he sends the servant out and the servant goes and says you're invited Things are ready. Let's go. It's time to celebrate. And each one gives an excuse. I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. I can't do it because of this reason. So one person after another give their excuses for not attending. Now, what is happening here? Each one of them is presuming that their relationship with the inviter of the dinner party is better than it actually is. They're presuming upon their own position, their own standing with this host. But the host in anger tells his servant, go out and invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the blind, invite the lame. That happens. The servant comes back and says, master, there's still more. and he, There's still more room. And he says, go out along the highways and the hedges and invite others until my house is filled. A couple things I want you to see here. The host in the story that Jesus is telling symbolizes God. The initial invited guests symbolized the Jews who trusted in their religious background. And so the point of Jesus' story here was to point out that people who presume upon their religious experience give them no standing before God and sadly will be left out. You see, he's speaking to Jewish leaders. He's speaking to people who believed the Torah, sought to live the Torah and the Mishnah teachings. They lived it to the letter of everything. And yet they missed the very Messiah that those things spoke about who was sitting right in front of them. And so Jesus is saying, far from God people are those who are trusting in their religious experience. Because it's not about your religious experience. It's about a relationship with God himself. And today we need to recognize that. We need to understand that in our own lives. These men who were at this party trusted in their religious experience. They proudly believed themselves to be accepted by God because of how well they lived out their religious beliefs. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a scribe. I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never been in an unclean place. I keep the letter of the law. I'm in the synagogue every Shabbat. Look at me. I'm somebody. Jesus says, you're a nobody. You're going to sadly be left out. Jesus here makes it clear that not one of them will enjoy food at his table. Did you catch that in verse 24? 
Go out and invite the blind, the sick, the lame, the deaf, those who are outcasts in society. Go out and invite them. But the ones who are presuming upon me that their religious experience is enough, those are the ones who will never enjoy feasting at my table. Those are the ones who will never be in my kingdom. It's a sad statement, but it's a true reality. You see, far from God, people fail to recognize their own brokenness before God. They trust in their religious efforts. They trust in their religious knowledge. In contrast, Jesus here shows us that those who are invited near are those who recognize their shortcomings. What do you think that blind person that was invited recognized about himself? He's blind. What do you think about the lame person that recognized about himself? He knew that he was lame. What about the poor? They knew that they were poor. They knew they had nothing to offer. When they came to the temple, they couldn't give large sums of money because they didn't have large sums of money. All they had was themselves and what little they had. And that was enough. If they recognized that and they brought that before the master, they brought that into the house that they were invited to, they recognized their own shortcomings and they did not presume upon God's grace. Same would be true of those in the highways. Those would be the foreigners. Those would be the non-residents in the area. Today we look at that and we'd say, that's you and I. We're Gentiles. We're not Jewish by blood. We're not Jewish by culture. We're not Jewish by religious experience. We are the Gentile, the outcast, the ones who are far from God, but in God's grace through Jesus have been brought near to the throne of grace. This quick-tongued guest trusted in his own religious experience. He ignored the brokenness in his own life. And sadly, unless he acknowledged it and turned in faith to Jesus in that moment, he too, just as Jesus said, would be shut out. This morning, as we read through these 24 verses, this first half of this chapter, I wonder, where do you fit in the story? If you were sitting in this dinner party with Jesus in this room with these religious leaders and listening to the discussion and things that were happening there, where would you fit in? How does your life align to the people, the characters in these stories? Today, do you live for the approval of others? Are you living to make a name for yourself? Are you living to achieve something for yourself, hoping you can earn your way into favor with God? Is your trust in the wealth and comfort of this world? You're, you're living for those things and, and, and want to just live it out to its fullest. And, and maybe at the end, maybe your mind is thinking at some point you can turn to Jesus. This morning, are you resting in your religious experience? Those of you who have been in Red Lane long enough, you've probably heard my testimony. There was a long period in my younger years where that was my religious experience. I was resting in the fact that I had prayed a prayer before my ninth grade year, and I had been baptized, and I had gone to a Christian school, and I had been active in my student ministry in high school. And, and even as a freshman in college, I was a small group leader with seventh grade boys. I had all of this religious experience. I had led people to faith in Jesus. I had been on mission trips. I had two quiet times a day. I mean, I had all the accolades that said, he is a good Southern Baptist young man, and everybody should be like him. That was my life. It was never enough. I was the most miserable person I knew because inward, I knew that I was religious and striving, but it was never good enough, and I knew it was not a good enough. I needed to come into relationship with Jesus. 
Why? Because I was far from God, even though I was seated all, I was immersed right in the midst of everything that was gospel-centered, and yet I was far from God. Today, would you say that you're far from God? You know, the Bible tells us that because of our sin, each of us have been separated from the God who created us. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, we've been condemned. We stand condemned before God. We're, that we, we are separated from him. We might put it back into the context of how I opened this morning. Like Thomas Jefferson having to ford a river to get to the other side by horseback, today, because of our sin, we are separated from God. There's a great chasm, a great river that separates you and I as cre God's creation from him as our creator. We're separated. How do we get to the other side? We can't cross it. You can't earn enough money to buy your way. You can't do enough good stuff to earn your way. You can't do anything to cross the river that separates you from God by yourself. But thankfully, the Bible tells us that Jesus, God the Son, has come across the river. Right? He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has come across the river on our side where we stand condemned before God in our sin, dead to God. And he's come to make us alive. He's come in a, with a white horse because he's victorious. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Therefore, he stands victorious, riding a white horse. We jump on the back of that big old stallion, and we go to the other side with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's the news of the gospel, so that far from God people can be rescued. And it doesn't happen with us rescuing ourselves. It happens when Jesus rescues us. And he stands ready. With a yes on his face. Today you can go all over the world and listen to all kinds of ideologies and philosophies and religious beliefs. You can talk to gurus and teachers and uh, uh, quasi-prophets. And all of these people would say that their way is the way. Here's what you'll see in all of those situations. You'll see a no on their face. Why? Because they can't get you across the river. Connections class, just a little bit ago in our small group time, we were walking through the gospel and trying to understand it. And, and, and as we started that six-week class, we need to start with the foundation of everything that we do here as a local church. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I told them that every religious background on the face of the earth, past, present, and future, all of those leaders have tombstones and they're dead and in the grave. But we serve a God who not just, didn't just create us and to leave us alone, but we serve a God who even in our sin and our brokenness has come to us to aid us and to bring us into life and life eternal, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he died for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sins, he was buried in the grave for our sins, and yet he rose from the dead for our sins. Do you know him today? This morning, if you are far from God, you know that you're not in relationship with him, I would call upon you to humble yourself and to call on the name of Jesus. I would call on you this morning to turn from your sins, repent of that sins, and walk with Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for his grace. Ask him for his mercy. Ask him to save your souls. And this is what you, the response you will hear. It will be a yes. If you will humble yourselves, turn from your sins, Jesus will change your life. And here's the promise. You will eat bread in his kingdom one day. What does that mean? Some of us don't even like bread. 
You're gluten intolerant. And you're like, I don't want bread. The picture there is not so much bread. It's gathering around and enjoying a meal for all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of the family. What do we do as a family? We eat together. That's what it's symbolizing there. You're part of the family of God. Far from God people can be brought near through Jesus Christ. Today, if that's where you are, I invite you to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Here's what happens to some of us who are Christians, though. We can walk at a guilty distance. We're in relationship with Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven, but we have, for some reason, lapsed in our walk with Jesus. We've lapsed in our earnestness to know Jesus. And so now, rather than walking in step with him as a friend and as a father and as a savior and as a Lord, we're tracking behind him, and we need to catch up. Why are we tracking behind? Because we've got tied up into some sin. We've got tied up into some, what the Bible calls encumbrances. Things are not necessarily sin. They're, they're, they're good things, but they're just not the best things, and they're taking our affection away from Jesus and his word. This morning, what do you do with that? You lay those things aside, and you get back in step with Jesus. You humble yourselves. You call upon his name. You ask for his help. And so this morning, the message is for all of us. What is your true spiritual condition? What do you need to do with Jesus this morning? Whatever the answer for that question is, those questions are, I encourage you this morning to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the grace you've shown us through Jesus. Lord, we are grateful that we can sing that hymn that we sang earlier, just as I am. This morning we come before you just as we are. And that's what Jesus was saying in this text here to these people. We must come just as we are, but we have to recognize how we are and what we are and what's going on in our life. We need to recognize that we're proud and selfish, self-centered. We need to recognize that we have sin that we're holding on to. We need to recognize that there's an unwillingness to let go of the things of this world, the, the things that have capture the, the affection of our eyes and our hearts. We need to recognize many times we're trusting in a religious experience. We're, we're trusting in the fact that we walked an aisle, we prayed a prayer, we were baptized, but, but when we look back over the history from that moment till today, there's very little, if any, any evidence of transformation, any evidence of life. So we should ask the question, am I genuinely a follower of Jesus? If I were, wouldn't there be fruit? God, this morning, as we think about how wonderful it is to say just as I am, we need to understand where we are today. And so I pray for us. In this room, God, I pray for those who are listening online that you would open our hearts to the reality. God, may we be like those who are sitting in this room that Jesus is addressing. And rather than being offended, God, I pray that we would see the truth of what he's saying and allow it to speak deep down into our hearts. May we respond with faith and repentance. That's our prayer this morning. That's our plea. And God, as we move into a time of response, help us to respond just like that. God, many of us may need to be on our knees. We may need to be on our faces before you. We, need, we may need to be calling on you for salvation. We may need to be confessing sin to someone else in this room. God, I pray that whatever the situation is, our answer would be yes, because your response to us is yes. We thank you for that. 
Bless this time. Lead this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing this morning, how should you respond? We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.